Woi woi, woi woi, woi woi. Then he then go on the radio again. Yo, if you wanna smoke free weed, go board yourself. You need to go plant a seed. Go board yourself, make your knowledge increase. Go board yourself, go board yourself. Hey, all right, everybody. Welcome to episode number 126 of Grow Bud Yourself. We got a great one in store for you guys. We're going to do a little Prime Superior gift box giveaway up top. We got a great interview with Luna Whitcomb, all about living soil. Um, Grow tip on understanding cation exchange capacity, plus answers to your grow questions and much, much more coming up on episode 126 of Grow Bud Yourself, brought to you by Seeds Here Now, Sweet Leaf Nutrients, Excelsior Extracts, Prime Superior Inoculant, and Purple Rose Supply Canagar Molds. Whether you're growing from seed or from clone, Prime Superior's simple, safe, and effective products can take your cultivation program to the next level. Prime Superior offers a two-step process that will benefit any garden. This is possible thanks to Prime Superior's proprietary strain of Bovaria bassiana, which is optimized for plants and sets up a symbiosis that increases terpenes, cannabinoids, and yield. Simply coat your seed to inoculate and aid rapid germination or dip your clone cutting with the world's first biological cloning honey and improve growth the way nature intended. Next, continue maintenance on your crop with foliar or fog applications of Prime Superior's Drench, which will boost your plant's growth and ensure a healthy harvest. Best of all, the Drench will work with already established gardens, so anyone at any stage of growth can achieve a cleaner crop with better yields. I gotta tell you, I use this stuff myself, not just on my cannabis, but on houseplants as well, and everything has greened up. Everything is super healthy, whether it's the seed coating product, the cloning honey, which is incredible. The drench is absolutely great. It comes in a spray bottle, uh, pre-mixed, so it's ready to be sprayed. This stuff is incredible. And I have literally noticed more cannabinoids and more terpenes. So it really is an amazing product. And now's the time to try Prime Superior and the world's first biological cloning honey. Grow Bud Yourself listeners can use the code PS420 for 15% off their entire order at primesuperior.com. So don't hesitate, inoculate, and visit primesuperior.com today to learn more. Hey, all right, welcome back, you guys. And this is episode 126. I want to say thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong for the amazing tune. Um, thanks for you guys for listening and, and hanging out with us. And thanks to you, Mike. How's things with you? Things are good. I've got a little uh, little head cold. Hopefully it doesn't sound too horrible. But other than that, very excited to be here. Episode 126. Good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh yeah, I mentioned a giveaway. Should we do that right off the top, or do you want to wait till after? No, let's let's do the let's talk about the giveaway. That's exciting. Excellent. So uh, one of our sponsors is Prime Superior. Uh, I talk about their products a lot. Uh, I use them a lot. It's a really great uh, plant inoculant. Uh, I love the cloning honey. I love everything about it. So we got a, a nice gift box uh, for one of you guys, a listener who is on our Patreon. So you can go on there for free. You don't have to pay. Uh, we would certainly appreciate if you do pay, uh, but you can subscribe to our Patreon for free by just clicking on patreon.com slash Danny Danko. We'd love to have you join us there for free. We certainly love to have you join us um, at any of the uh, sponsorship levels. There's one that's $4.20 a month. Uh, and, that, you know, it's a really great way uh, to show your appreciation for the show. So if you guys could join there. Um, at our Patreon, that would be incredible. And you also now have a chance. Um, we're going to pick one random person. They could be uh, there for free, or they could be there for at any level of sponsorship. Um, but but you have to join by January thirty first, uh, and we're going to pick one lucky person to receive a Prime Superior gift box. It's got um, samples of their products. It's got a hat, t shirt, uh, a couple of t shirts, couple of hats. Um, and uh, some of the spray, some of the uh, inoculant uh, seed uh, soaker, and more. So uh, please sign up for the Patreon at patreon.com slash Danny Danko. 
Uh, you can do it for free. You can do it for $4.20 a month. You can do it for 10 bucks a month, 25 bucks a month, and even 42 bucks a month. And you get a bunch of free cool stuff at the different levels as well, including uh, gear from our sponsors and a copy of my book and a shout out on the show and all kinds of other cool stuff. So um, surely we would appreciate you guys joining the Patreon at any level, even the free one. And again, you can win a Prime Superior gift box, so please join up. We'll announce uh, the winner on our show uh, at, that's going to be after January 31st. Excellent. Yes, so sign up by the end of this month, by by the end of January, and you'll have a chance to win. And, and maybe we'll do it weighted. So everybody who's a patron gets a chance to win. The free uh, people, they get their name in the hat once and maybe the next level up twice and so on and so forth. But uh, we want... All of our patrons, all of our patrons, to have a chance to win this awesome Prime Superior uh, giveaway. So join uh, Patreon.com/slash Danny Danko, and you won't regret it. I guarantee it. I guarantee you won't regret it. And if you do, then I apologize that you regretted it. But it's probably more <laughs> on you than than me. <laughs> right on. Uh, we got a great show. A lot of good stuff coming up. But um, but of course, we we got to start things off with uh, with a little cannabis news, don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah, we got to keep everybody apprised of the situation out there. And uh, let's start in Michigan. In our last episode, we uh, we congratulated Colorado as uh, the state now legally has sold recreational cannabis for a decade. Incredible. And during that 10-year stretch, Colorado sold more than $15 billion of adult-use pot products. Well, Michigan is just five years into retail sales. But the state had a memorable 2023 as more than $3 billion of pot products were sold in Michigan last year when you combine adult use and medical sales. And that number is even more impressive in terms of per capita spending. According to Crane's Business, Michigan's 2023 cannabis sales came out to around $305 per person in the state, which is the highest per capita figure in the whole country. So just for a little context, uh, California came in around $150 of cannabis per capita, and Colorado's figure is about $290, so $305 in Michigan, incredible. And Michigan voters legalized adult-use cannabis sales uh, in 2018, and the state sold $400 million of recreational weed in 2019, the first year of legal sales. And as it would turn out, estimates of a $1.7 billion marijuana market in Michigan materializing just several years after the start of retail sales were far too conservative because they've already sold $3 billion in just one year. And just insane. Wow. $3 billion in a year. That's just incredible. And uh, yeah, shout out to the mitten. (laughs) Yes, shout out to the marijuana mitten. And uh, I guess sticking with M states, let's let's just take a quick look at Missouri, where voters passed a constitutional amendment legalizing adult use cannabis in 2022. Now that law included automatic expungements of past pot convictions, and so far the state has managed to expunge more than 103,000 convictions. But a report from the Missouri Independent highlights a process that is time-consuming and also costly. And now the state is asking for nearly $4 million more million to keep clearing these records. So one of the big uh, selling points of many state-level legalization campaigns has been the promise of expunging past cannabis convictions. And the idea is that uh, with marijuana becoming legal, people who committed pot-related crimes in the past should have their records cleared. And uh, states that include automatic expungements as part of their legalization law, they place the responsibility for clearing these past convictions on the state rather than on the individual, who would otherwise have to then petition the court to get their record expunged. But as it turns out, automatic expungement, uh, the process is not as automatic as you might think. In Missouri, many criminal records have yet to be digitized meaning that it's not so easy to access some database and hunt out and clear these past convictions. In many cases, individual counties have to hire extra help to go through paper documents, carefully reading each all the way back to like 1989, 
and they try to find every qualifying cannabis conviction to officially expunge it. And as you might expect, more workers doing all this work costs more money. In addition to the $3.7 million that uh, officials are currently asking the state for, Missouri has already paid out $4.5 million for overtime and temp workers, as well as an additional $2.5 million in a supplemental budget. So if lawmakers approve this latest request for cash, the automatic expungement program will have received more than $10 million in just two years. Fortunately, state law requires revenue collected from legal cannabis sales to fund this expungement program, and as we know, pot is very popular. So Missouri should have no problem paying for this very essential aspect of legalization. Yeah, I mean, I have a proposal. Maybe some of that Michigan money can be used <laughs> to clear these convictions. Now, I'm just, uh, I'm teasing, but like, yeah, I mean, legalize it and then use that revenue, to, you know, the the money from the legalization to assist in the expungements. And there you have it, you know, and, and to build the roads and everything else, you know, better schools, better everything. Better everything, indeed. But yeah, I love the automatic expungements. It's just very interesting to hear the the actual uh, work that goes into that when it's automatic and not an individual petitioning the court. Um, it's great to see that they're really hunting through all these things just to clear the records, but uh, but a lot of work goes into it. So uh, let's just do one more quick one, and this is interesting. Uh, people who listen to this show, they know that this whole rescheduling is the hot topic. We know Biden... The Biden administration in 2022 asked for a review of how cannabis is scheduled in the CSA. The health department has uh, said that it should be rescheduled and placed into the into the third schedule of the CSA. And now the FDA and even NIDA, the National Institute of Drug Abuse, agree with the health department. But ultimately, as we know, the DEA is going to have the final say on how cannabis is scheduled, where it's scheduled, all of that. But either way, uh, not everybody is satisfied with this uh, rescheduling. There's a there's significant pushback from advocates who hope to see cannabis removed from the CSA altogether or deschedulized. And many of those people, led by the Last Prisoner Project organization, are planning the largest bipartisan coalition of cannabis advocacy – to be held in Washington, D.C. just before 420 on April 18th. Advocates point out how state legalization would still conflict with federal law, even with the move to Schedule 3, which would allow some criminal penalties for pot to remain enforceable. So at this event, along with the Last Prisoner Project, um, on April 18th, you're going to have the Drug Policy Alliance, Normal, Students for Sensible Drug Policy, and many more and they're going to be offering advice on how to fight for reform on the congressional level. If you want to learn a little more about that event or even sign up, uh, we encourage you to visit uh, lastprisonerproject.org. Yeah, absolutely. I am fully in support of uh, absolutely descheduling cannabis federally. Um, I do not believe that rescheduling uh, to Schedule 3 is very beneficial at all. I think, uh, you know, I'm not also... I don't think that the sky would be falling down either. I think um, it certainly uh, allows a lot more pharmaceuticalization of cannabis. It certainly puts it in a category it doesn't belong in. Uh, but right now, Schedule 1 is absolutely atrocious. No medical value at all. No nothing. So, you know, I, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not like insane about it, but I do think that uh, descheduling is the way to go. I don't see alcohol or tobacco on any sort of schedule, both far more harmful with uh, no medical purposes at all. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm all for descheduling and I think uh, it, hopefully that's what's going to happen. And hopefully we don't go to schedule three because I think that just muddies the water and makes things more complicated um, and isn't the solution. You know, it's a half step and it's not the right step. So again, I am not for um, moving to Schedule 3, I'm for removing cannabis entirely from any federal schedule at all as any kind of narcotic or drug or anything else that should be controlled substance. 
Yeah, and I would agree with you, but I think our best hope actually is uh, that the DEA follows the health department and the FDA and agrees to um, to rescheduling it. It currently sits with no uh, uh, accepted medical value and a high potential for abuse in the first schedule alongside heroin. So uh, uh, schedule three would at least put it alongside things like ketamine and steroids. Still uh, completely out of place there, but way better than the first schedule. But yes – very interesting. Either way, if it is uh, uh, descheduled completely, obviously, but even if it's rescheduled to uh, the third schedule, it would be the biggest uh, marijuana law reform um, uh, moment in uh, probably history. So interesting Absolutely. stuff. Yeah. That's a little bit of what's going on in the world of weed, but I'm really excited about this interview we have coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is someone who I've wanted to talk to for a while, um, a living soil expert. Uh, someone whose uh, appearances on other other shows and things I've been following and whose Instagram is is really informative and interesting. Um, and someone who I, I mean, I consider an expert on living soil uh, on a lot of the different ways to um, have sustainability and quality, uh, the highest quality for your cannabis. So uh, without further ado, why don't we take a break and come back with Luna Whitcomb. We'd like to tell you about our latest sponsor, Purple Rose Supply. Purple Rose Supply's Canagar molds give you the tools you need to smoke more and roll less. Spending time rolling multiple joints can take a long time, preventing you from doing what you actually love. The solution? More smoking, less rolling, with a cannabis cigar that burns longer. So how does it work? Weed is compressed into the mold, with the skewer placed in the middle for airflow. Since the weed is tightly compressed, it leaves less space for air pockets in your roll, giving you a slower burn. Even with the smallest size Canagar mold that holds 1-2 to two grams, you're getting more out of your grams in a Canagar as opposed to a regular blunt since it burns way longer. And... Purple Rose Supply offers mold sizes all the way up to 10 to 14 grams for when you have a larger group of friends. If you're a grower, Canagars can also be a way to showcase the strains you grow and take your smoke experience to an entirely new level. Learn more at purplerosesupply.com, follow them on Instagram at purplerosesupply, and don't forget to use code GBY20 for 20% off your order. All right. Welcome back. We have a very special guest for you guys this episode. Uh, our guest is Luna Whitcomb. Uh, she is a cultivator, uh, breeder, living soil expert, um, writer for Skunk Magazine, uh, probiotic natural farmer, uh, and uh, someone I've been following online and, and very interested in, in learning more about. So welcome to the show, Luna. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Danny. Absolutely. Uh why don't you just basically tell us a little bit about yourself, um, you know, how you got involved with cannabis in the first place and uh, and basically just kind of introduce yourself to our audience, people that might not know uh, anything about you. Sure. Um, so my name is Luna Whitcomb. Um, I originally got into cannabis uh, growing living soil outdoor in Northern California, um, not in the Humboldt area. It was actually uh, like north of Sacramento in a place called Concow, um, where I had a really good mentor who was down to earth with living soil just right from the beginning, growing in ground with companion plants, using all natural amendments and and custom-built living soil. Um, he originally introduced me to this idea of like creating a a an alliance with nature, having nature be a part of the team where we encouraged microbes, we encouraged insects and biodiversity and and giving them a place to live and having nature grow the plant while we nurture nature. And that's a that's a big thing to me is nurturing nature to cultivate plants. That was originally um when I was 20. So it was like 15 years ago. So I've been cultivating with living soil practices for about 15 years. Now, were you a patient at the time? Like, what was your initial involvement, like, uh, as far as not even growing, but like uh, as a consumer? Well, I started consuming cannabis when I was like 15, so about 20 years ago. Um, 
you would say I was a patient. Let's just say I was an enthusiast. <laughs> um, and I was working as like a farm hand on this farm um, originally. And I just, I uh, got really into the organic sciences. I found it super fascinating and there's so much to it. Um, it's very complicated. However, it's very simple. And something about that just caught my attention and uh, became a real passion of mine. And so have you always um, since since then been growing in living soil and and have you done that indoors and outdoors? So I've actually done living soil. I've actually done hydroponic also. Um, you know, I felt inclined to diversify my knowledge base with every different kind of growing practice. Um, I had heard claims from different people about different results and why. Um, and at the time, I didn't have the knowledge to really, you know, make my own decision. Um, and I wanted to to just see and compare for myself. So I've grown um, indoor living soil. I've grown in greenhouse living soil. I've grown outdoor living soil. I've grown in hemp fields. Um, I've also done um, indoor hydroponic um, in a few different applications, including like crop steering and stuff like that. Um, and had success and have seen the results. Um, however, I just immediately went back to living soil as that's where I really feel comfortable and what I enjoy. So uh, having done that, what what would be what would be something you would say to someone who, you know, from the synthetic side um, who might say, uh, you know, I grow I grow synthetically. It's I feel like it's cleaner. And I also feel like, uh, you know, a molecule is a molecule, you know, nitrogen is nitrogen. Um, how, how, how is it different if it's coming from a living soil versus, um, something like, you know, rock wool and, and three-way GH <laughs> three part, you know? So a molecule is a molecule is, is a funny statement, right? So there isn't just one form of nitrogen. Um, there are many forms of plant available nitrogen, phosphorus, calcium, you know, onward, uh, there's a whole bunch of different molecules that can be introduced and all of which will provide uh, components that will lead to cofactors, which will then produce a different diversity of compounds within the plant. Living soil has a broader range, a broader profile of these compounds for the plant to piece together in a multitude of different cofactors and end result, you know, volatile organic compounds or cannabinoids or just plant tissue in general, um, you can get a larger range of expression. You can have different types of expression based on different soil compositions because there's different profiles of compounds that exist inside of it. So in synthetics, um, yeah, the plant gets what it needs to grow the plant, to grow it quickly, to produce yields, um, and to really give it that bag appeal. There's no arguing that. Um, I've seen uh, many people grow with huge yields in synthetic um, and struggle to in organic. It takes it takes some finesse. Um, however, I've also seen people pull three pounds of light um, in living soil as well. My feelings kind of towards it are the broader the profile, the more compounds that your plant has available to it, the more potential it has to express itself in a complex way and in a like a, a broad way. So for example, um, living soil, when you, the flower that's produced from it, when you crack open a bud, there's much more depth to the flower. You have not just terpenes and, and um, uh, you know, THC and cannabinoids, you have you know, thiols, esters, phenols, a much wider diversity of volatile organic compounds that contribute to the aroma. And that's because you get, you know, more enzymes um, that are available to the cells because there are different minerals available to it and different forms of minerals available to it in the soil. And that diversity, that profile is impossible to mimic in a synthetic growing environment. The diversity, yeah. yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So the plant is re reaching its genetic potential, um, exactly. Rather than right, um, which brings me sort of to the the concept of terroir, um, which is you know in my understanding basically like you know a combination of the soil and the climate. Uh, but what what role do you think sun plays, like as far as sun grown versus indoor? I mean, do you think 
that um, sunshine also uh, achieves a, a, a greater uh, genetic potential from the plant? So the light spectrum um, will absolutely influence the you know genetic expression of of the plant. It'll influence the the way that the plant expresses itself. And in different climates and different topographies, we're going to have different light spectrums, which will contribute to unique expression within the plant. When you have uh, an indoor setting, the only variation in your light spectrum we're going to have is whether or not you can control it on like an LED or like a mixed spectrum, you know, uh, HPS versus like metal halide. Um, you have a much more narrow range of, of um, light spectrum that the plant has access to. So when you grow outside and you have different locations on the planet, you will have different light spectrums that will contribute to a unique expression of the plant. And this is part of what contributes to terroir, right? So not only do we have light uh, influencing terroir or our topographical expression, we have soil composition, um, we have climate, um, and, and whatever's present in that soil and in that climate um, as well as the plants surrounding that area will all influence the expression of that cannabis. Uh, so, so for example, let's say we have uh, a particular diversity of, of native species of plants in one area. The rhizosphere through root exudates will change the diversity of microbiology because the diversity of microbiology will feed on the specific profile of amino acids, enzymes, and carbohydrates that those native plants contribute to the soil uh, rhizosphere. That diversity of microorganisms then secretes different enzymes and different compounds that the plant can use to then biosynthesize enzymes and, and other compounds like uh, terpenes and volatile organic compounds that contribute to different aromas. So different locations are influenced by light spectrum, yes, which will also influence the diversity of, of um, plant life in that area, um, that light spectrum will also influence the expression of the plant. And then the soil composition plays into all of that as well. So every different spot, even in even in a similar area, even just like a mile down the road, every different spot on the planet will have a different expression of the plant through the soil that it's grown in and the area that it, that it exists in. Yeah, so uh, that sort of brings me to the idea of like fermentation and um, people are now brewing a lot of their own, um, not just compost teas, but all kinds of um, formulas, basically KNF style and all different ways. Um, you know, what? Do you, how do you feel about, you know, that whole fermentation process? And I think that also involves using some of the local um, flora as well, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm a big fan of fermentation. I'm a big fan of using um, homemade inputs. There are situations where you have to be careful and you really have to learn what you're doing and and why. Um, I feel you, there's a lot of different people who, who, who make claims about what exactly the, these things are doing. And there's, there's not much research behind them. However, we do see like physiological plant responses when using them. We do see benefit when we're using them. We see increase in terpenes. Um, we see increase in vigor and things like that. When we ferment plant matter, we're there's a few different things that can happen, right? So we're taking nutrient value from the plant. You know, that's a piece of the puzzle. We also have a profile of organic acids. Plants have physiological responses to organic acids, like phytohormones. They are organic acids, right? And when they come in contact with the root zone, it will affect the way that the plant um, uh, expresses itself. It can affect flavonoid pathways. It can change metabolic rates. Um, and all of those things are inside plants at all times. So when we ferment them, we're potentially introducing them to the root zone and to the plant and stimulating different processes in the plant, whether it be transition into flower, vegetative growth, internodal spacing, lateral bud development. Um, all these things can be influenced by organic acids, right? But we also have the enzymes that exist in our um, organic matter that we're fermenting. So um, enzymes, you know, they break down different organic matter also. Um, enzymes will break down things like polysaccharides, which are complex carbohydrates. Uh, they're sugar sources. 
um, break them down so they can be used by microorganisms, feed specific profiles of microorganisms, which then contribute specific, unique uh, physiological effects to the plant, as well as um, influence the soil in specific ways. For example, there is, you know, phosphorus solubilizing or, uh, you know, nitrogen solubilizing uh, microbe or enzymes that are secreted by enz uh, by microbes. Um, and so feeding those specific profiles of microbes and contributes to that solubilization and making them available to the plant. So those are like the three components to fermenting stuff, right? However, microbiology changes the structure of organic acids. It will take an organic acid and after consuming whatever, you know, is holding that organic acid, um, the plant matter, the cells, it will change the structure of it into something else. Um, so it's difficult to say, like, we go and we find this particular plant that has this particular organic acid um, or phytohormone that we're seeking. And then through fermentation, we are potentially destroying it. We're potentially stabilizing it or we're potentially converting it into something else because different biology, when in combination with specific food sources and plant matter or polysaccharides can create a very specific phytohormone, but it also can destroy it. Um, so <laughs> through fermentation, we have the potential to do all these really cool things, but I always get reluctant to say that it does this specific thing because there's so many different factors and without like a lot of testing, it makes it almost impossible to know. However, we can see that we're having a physiological plant response, like response in the plant and in the soil. And I think that gives it merit in itself. And we can apply like our concepts and our understanding of how soil science works and how it reacts to organic acids, enzymes and nutrients and so on um, to then apply it. So yes, I like to, <laughs> I like to ferment. Um, I like to use some KNF inputs. I don't use all of them. Um, I like to ferment plant matter with uh, lactobacillus serum um, and give it to my plants. So yeah. Thanks. There, there also seems to be some some sort of uh, division between kind of aerobic uh, versus anaerobic, uh, and sort of where, what's where do you sit uh, on that as far as oxygenating the during the fermentation process and 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 how you know how that relates to those enzymes and acids. Sure. Um. So there's a time and place for everything. Um. I you know we're we're all organic growers. We all have our different approaches. Sometimes people want to create like division and fight with each other. I, these are all just tools in our toolbox. Um, they have a time and place. Sometimes, some places they shouldn't be used. Other times they should be. So I per I personally like to make aerobic fermentations, which people called actively aerated compost teas. Um, I think compost tea is kind of a ambiguous term. I like to call it aerobic fermentation, and. Anaerobic fermentation is typically, you know, people are doing like GDM liquid fertilizer where it's it's not even really it's not even really a fermentation. It's kind of just like a putrefication of plant matter um, down into like a like almost like a slop and it has, uh, you know, supposedly nutrients and stuff. However, it hasn't been tested. And so who, who really knows what's happening when you mix all this stuff together? There could be bonding of different chemicals and different nutrients turning into different things, whether available or not available. Um, however, people use it and it works. So that's great. Um, there's also fermentation with like lactic acid bacteria serum, um, which is what I like to do. We're all like, like blend plants up, throw it in like a bucket of water, throw a bunch of lactic acid bacteria serum, um, and maybe a little bit of molasses or some other kind of polysaccharide found from like a plant, um, and then seal it. And that to me, just based off of my understanding of microbes and stuff is the kind of the best way to reduce the potential for pathogens. Um, and that's what I like to do. However, I know a lot of people have success with GDM and I'm definitely not trying to say not to do it. Um, it's just not a practice that, um, I implement. So, so to answer your question, I don't think there's, I don't think one is better than the other. I don't believe that there is a best. Um, I just think that there's tools for different situations. Absolutely. Um, now, as far as genetics goes, um, you know, what are, what are some of your favorite to grow? And then also, can you tell me about um, the lunar cheese in particular. Yeah, sure. Um, so one of my favorite genetics to grow, um, I, I don't, I don't know if I ever really like go back to a particular genetic that I think is my favorite. Um, I really just enjoy vigorous, happy plants that get really big. <laughs> um, but I, so I, I breed my plants, um, 
there's only a couple of things that I have on my farm right now that I actually didn't create. Um, and so I don't, I don't like get out and grow a lot of like hype stuff um, that's out in the market or that's really popular right now. So it's, it's, I don't have much experience with, with that, but um, you know, I love to grow my cheese crosses, um, which is my, my lunar cheese. Um, those genetics came from the Concow area um, in Northern California, where I uh, first learned how, you know, living soil practices. Um, and I got some of those original cuts from that property that I was talking about. Um, the, the blue night, which is the DJ shorts, blueberry on kryptonite. Um, kryptonite is kind of, you know, you've heard of it. Like people, people hear of it. It's, it's pretty old school. It's like nowhere. That's the only place I've ever seen that genetic. Um, some people say it's, it's also called Gainesville green out in Gainesville, Florida. Um, people don't agree with that but the only place that i've ever seen it and it was really popular in was in that area in concow in northern california um and that blue kryptonite that's also the only place or i'm sorry <laughs> uh, the blue night with which is the blueberry and the kryptonite that's the only place i've seen that so i've seen the dj shorts blueberry there the kryptonite there and then the blue night i think may have been made there um and it was such a unique plant um I really don't know how to, just like this sweet blueberry, like sour, like astringent, but like gassy. Um, and it just, it would just, you know, kick your ass really. Uh, and I, I fell in love with the plant. It was really popular on that property. Um, and there was also UK cheese there, you know, which is like a skunk one phenotype. And I saw them and, and I, I begged the guy, you know, I was like, please like, let me, let me have these, you know, and I, I think I did some like tr work trade um, or something. And he was reluctant to give them to me because uh, he, he spent, uh, you know, like some some crazy amount of money for the the, you know, the original clones to make this cross. And um, he eventually gave them to me and I bred with them. And then I worked the line for a little bit. Um, and I just it it's it's really cool because I found this expression that has that new school look that like micro or not micro, uh, that trichome density um, that people are really after and that kind of long trichome neck also that's really good for washing, but has the, the, the smell and, and aroma of something that's completely unique and like different from everything else. And that doesn't have, you know, it's not like, it's not made from any of like the hype stuff. It's like old school stuff that just kind of came into this like modern look that's really hard to find. Um, and I just fell in love with it. And now I've been crossing it onto other things and I've been working with it for a while. Um, and it's it's just beautiful. It smells amazing. I, I'm super happy that I have it. Um, it's really influenced my life in like a huge way. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, and it was almost lost, right? I mean, there was like a fire. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that detail. Um, it may have been, actually. Um, so, yeah, if if people don't know, uh, there was a fire that raged through Paradise, California and Concow um, and Berry Creek. Um, it was big news. It was called the Campfire. And um, this place, like 120,000 people, burned down thousands of homes. Um, but that's that area that that genetic was in. Um, I haven't heard or seen of those genetics since, you know, since then, um, wow. it could be completely gone and I'm not going to be like, I'm the only person in the world who has these genetics. I just don't know that. Um, cause mm -hmm. I don't know everybody that lives in that area. Um, but, but I, but I have them. <laughs> Amazing. Well, um, for most of, uh, the people who listen to us, you know, they're, they're home growers. Um, they might have a tent or a couple of tents, um, uh, but really like in small spaces, sometimes in apartments, what would be your advice um, for those people that are in interested in living soil, uh, but confined to, you know, smaller spaces without the benefit of like a greenhouse or a big field um, yeah. as far as containers and, and how to how to build that and, and, and maintain it? You know, you hear me talking about all these like you know, moderately complex concepts, right? And people are like, oh my God, like it's 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 too complicated. Um, and when you dive into the minutiae, it makes it sound really complicated, but living soil is actually really, really simple. Um, 
And oftentimes diving into the minutia of how these things work doesn't even really help you grow better weed. Um, so really, to me, living soil requires a bed. So if you have a tent, um, which this is something that I do in my breeding, um, I have a four by four tent. I filled it with a four by four bed and I, you know, uh, you can either build a soil or you can buy a soil and I've done both. Um, fill the bed with soil, throw some um, cover crop on there, you know, some uh, companion plants, some living mulch, uh, let that grow a little bit, make a couple composties, throw it in there, put your plants in there and just water it, get clean water and just, wa and just water it. And then at the end of the cycle, get a soil test done. You know, they can give you some calculations or you can do them yourself, re-amend it, water it in, let it sit for a couple of weeks and do it again. It's super simple. Like the, the plant, the plant knows how to grow itself. And in living soil systems, you know, plants secrete root exudates that passively communicate with the soil and catalyze different bonds between nutrients to make them available, feed microorganisms to make things soluble, and then uptake them. You can help by adding some enzymes. You can help by adding some fulvic acid um, or different inputs that stimulate microbiology, like fish hydrozolate or kelp, um, or you can get creative and blend up things like aloe vera or beets, which is what I like to do, and give them to your soil. I wouldn't get too crazy with like pumping it with like a bottled nutrient. Um, it's just not necessary in, in living soil. Build a soil bed, throw some, you know, seeds down, whatever you like. They can be flowers. They can be, you know, a blend that you get from a, a shop. Give it some biology, build it a compost tea. That's it. Leave it alone. Water it. Just water the thing. It's it's super easy, and you'll be really really surprised at how amazing your your flower turns out. And don't don't overcomplicate it. Like, do little. If you think you're not doing enough, you're you're probably doing too much. <laughs> you know. <laughs> amazing. Well, there's so much more we could talk about. We didn't even get into the, um, you know, beneficial uh, insects and and all of that. Um, but uh, hopefully maybe I can get you back on the show sometime soon to get into that stuff a little deeper. Uh, stick around, though, because we're going to shoot a video um, for our Patreon and for YouTube, and we're going to talk about um, fixing hydrophobic soil. Does that work? Yeah. Something like that. Um, mm -hmm. And and also let people know where they can learn more about you, find out more, follow you, um, you know, check in with the skunk articles and 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 basically sure. just find out more. So most of my content is on Instagram. You can follow me at Luna all day. Um, it's L-U-N-A-L-L-D-A-Y. On there, I have a link tree in my bio that'll take you to different articles. It'll take you to Skunk Magazine. You can also go to Skunk Magazine's website to read my articles. I also have many articles published on Greenpoint Seeds website. Um, some really good stuff on there. And I'm doing podcasts on the Future Cannabis Project every Sunday at 420. I have a Patreon that you can subscribe to um, where I have different PDFs, research papers, white papers, my own writings, um, and all the recipes of things that I make to give to my soil and to my plants. Um, and I also give give some advice there. Um, it is not free consulting, but yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, awesome. Thank you so much uh, for being on the show, Luna, and uh, keep up the great work. I highly recommend uh following Luna at all platforms. Um, Thank you so much, Fanny. Appreciate it. And we'll be back after these messages. All right, all you cannabis connoisseurs out there, we have a special announcement for you. Place an order this month and Seeds Here Now's got you. And if you're tired of domestic shipping costs eating away at your grow budget, We've got you covered again. Simply use the code DANKOSHIP, that's D-A-N-K-O-S-H-I-P, and you'll get free shipping with your order at SeedsHereNow.com, domestic shipping. So head over to SeedsHereNow.com, enter DANKOSHIP, and let your garden flourish in style. Keep it green, nurture those dreams, and remember, with the right seeds and knowledge, you're always in for a bountiful harvest.
All right, we are back. And uh, again, thank you to Luna Whitcomb. That uh, very interesting stuff. And uh, there's so much more to delve into. Uh, she is really, truly an expert um, in soil science and uh, beyond organic, obviously, practices for, for cannabis cultivation. Definitely check out the uh, the Instagram, Luna All Day, but it's just the one A, L-U-N-A-L-L-D-A-Y. Um, very good stuff over there uh, and a lot to learn about living soil and much, much more. Yeah, and we'll have to have her on the show again. And I would encourage all our listeners to head over to uh, to patreon.com slash Danny Dancode because uh, we do a little uh, little bonus coverage with Luna there. Yeah, we, we talk about um, hydrophobic soil. So if you've ever had that problem, uh, you'll know it by when you're watering your plants and the water seems to just sit on top of the soil uh, and then somehow magically winds up at the bottom, you know, in your tray without really getting the soil wet. Uh, and I've had this with the house plants. I've had this with cannabis plants. It's really annoying. And uh, so we talk about that. And uh, basically, she she gives a primer on on uh, what causes that and how to deal with it. So uh, great info from Luna. Thank you again. It is absolutely. And um, well, now we're in the cultivation section of the show and our listeners of course know that uh, that each episode you like to provide a tip that will help our listeners become better cultivators so what do you want to discuss this week yeah so this week i want to talk about uh cation exchange capacity um also uh known as cec uh not to be confused with ec uh electric conductivity uh which is uh a way they measure uh you know, PPMs, basically nutrient amounts, uh, primarily over in Europe and overseas, because we have our own kind of uh, system for that here. But uh, cation exchange capacity basically is a soil property, um, and it's a measure of the uh, negative surface charges on a particle of, of, of soil. So uh, in layman's terms, basically, um, we know that positive and negative attract to each other. So if there are um, base cations and acid cations, um, calcium, magnesium, uh, potassium, sodium, those would be base uh, cations and uh, hydrogen, aluminum, et cetera, uh, more on the acid side. Um, and basically, so you have those negative surface charges and the positive uh, cations, and it's a measure of the amount of those nutrients that are available um, to the root hairs, to the actual plant. So uh, it's, I, I, I hope I'm explaining it properly, but basically um, the cations themselves are positive. The soil uh, is negative. So they stick to each other, the positive and the negative. Um, and so therefore you want a higher CEC when you're growing. And typically organic soils have a higher CEC um, than more sort of loamy and sandy type soils, soils with more organic material. Um, basically, so CEC is a measure of the potential of available nutrients. So uh, pH is also a factor. Uh, there's all kinds of factors, you know, the oxygen level at root level as well. But this will give you an idea of the potential of available nutrients that are there, uh, you know, connected to your soil particles that your root hairs can actually take in. Um, and CEC is measured in milliequivalents uh, per 100 grams of soil. So it's MEQ per 100 G. Uh, and you want that number to certainly be higher than 10. Uh, you want it to be, you know, 25 or higher, ideally even 50 or higher is even better. Um, and you get this uh, measurement by sending your soil away for a soil test. This isn't really something... Um, you know, an, an amateur can just figure out at home. So you send your soil away as a sample, you get it back, um, and they'll give you a number, um, let's say, you know, 10 to 15 or so um, mill equivalents per 100 grams per soil. So the number is 10. Uh, you want to bring that number up, you want to add organic material. Um, so this is basically the basis for living soil, you know, just adding more organic material to your soil, um, not tilling. So you know, tilling would also remove uh, your soil's ability and lower the CEC. Um, so basically, uh, it's something you should certainly 
look into more. I'm just scratching the surface of this right now, just to give you an idea. So that you understand that like even, you know, electricity at root level plays a major role that the positive and negative ions and, and, and things that are there to allow your plant to absorb the, the necessary nutrients, calcium and magnesium. And again, if, if you have a very low CEC, uh, you're, you're, th those nutrients could be there, but they're not going to be absorbed. So um, certainly you want to learn more about CEC and how to raise it, um, adding organic material for sure. Um, and, you know, of course, everyone always jokes about CalMag and, and how that's the solution uh, to everything. But uh, adding lime and also raising pH as well, because if it's too acidic, uh, you know, in the 5.0 5 range, um, that's certainly going to be bad too. So if you have weathered soil, uh, you want to add lime, uh, raise the pH if it's low, and uh, and add as much organic material as possible. I mean, just to pile compost on top and and uh, you know let your soil just build and like a like a chocolate cake uh, until it's nice, dark, rich, loamy, earthy, uh, with lots of air particles and a high CEC. And that is cation exchange capacity. Mm, cake. Sounds good. Um, <laughs> all right. Excellent grow tip. Yes. And uh, not easy to say, but uh, very good. Thank you, Dan. And now it is time to take some questions from our listeners. And uh, if you have a question you would like answered on the show, get in touch with us. Our email, as always, is info at growbudyourself.com. So why don't we get things started with... Daryl Doobies, who writes, uh, hey guys, Daryl Doobies from the Marijuana Mitten here again. I guess that means Michigan. Um, I would like to ask this time about growing. I admit I use unsulfured molasses in my current grow, and I see great results. My question is, I was told conflicting answers on what molasses really does for plants. I've been told by some, it's packed full of secondary newts. But I've also talked to others who say it feeds the roots and microorganisms. So which is it? Or is it both? I would love to hear your thoughts on this. I love the show. You guys are amazing. Thank you, Daryl. We are. And it's good to hear somebody admit that. Um, but yes, Dan, what would you say here to Daryl Doobies? Yeah. So, uh, Daryl, thanks for the question. And shout out to the uh, the marijuana mitten. I uh, love my Michigan peeps and all the amazing cannabis uh, being grown out there. Um, yeah, so molasses, uh, molasses is great. Uh, it's definitely, uh, very beneficial in a number of different ways. It's rich. It is rich in minerals. It has uh, iron, potassium, calcium. Uh, so it does have, uh, some of those elements that are necessary, uh, for plant growth and will improve your soil health, um, promote, you know, good growth also can act as a natural pesticide in some ways um, and attract beneficial microorganisms to the soil, which I'm going to talk about as well. That certainly aids in soil fertility. Uh, it's, you know, molasses is basically a byproduct of sugar pr production um, and it's used as a sweetener um, and a soil amendment. So like I said, it is rich in, in some of those minerals. Um, you definitely want to dilute it. <laughs> Very important. It should be mixed with water. Um, you can apply it to your soil as a drench. Uh, you can spray it as a foliar feed. Um, but again, you want to mix just a small amount, no more than two tablespoons of molasses per gallon of water. Um, and, you know, I, I prefer blackstrap molasses. If you can find that, um, that's definitely the better choice uh, for doing that. It's going to definitely provide some minerals. Um, and carbohydrates. Another thing that is great to do with molasses is add it to your compost tea. Um, it definitely feeds those microorganisms, as you mentioned, um, within the compost tea. And so adding something sweet like molasses um, just gives them stuff to munch on and reproduce and millions of beneficial bacteria and microbes become billions. And so um, you oxygenate that, that tea overnight, 24 hours with a, a couple of couple of tablespoons of molasses in there um, and you're just you know supercharging your compost tea in that way so um, I love molasses in that way just be sure that you're diluting it properly 
um, if, if you're just pouring molasses onto your plants, it's no, no good. And you're also going to get a bunch of pests um, attracted to the that, that sweet sugary uh, stuff. So uh, yeah, like I said, molasses is a good additive um, with your, your solution and also excellent for uh, particularly, in my opinion, uh, for adding to compost tea as it oxygenates and gets ready to be used uh, and use it quick. I mean, once it's overnight and oxygenated, uh, you may even want to dilute it a little more. You want it to be basically like uh, light colored iced tea, you know, very, very weak iced tea. Um, and then you can use that as a soil drench or as a foliar feed. And uh, it's great, great stuff. All right. We got chocolate cake. We got molasses. This episode is making <laughs> me hungry. It sounds um, like a party. Well, thank you, Daryl. Let's move on to Freddie. And he writes, uh, hey, guys, old stoner here. I started puffing back in the 70s in college, and I loved it. Life intervened, job, family, drug tests, etc. Anyway, now I'm retired, and I just got back into smoking. And quite frankly, I'm a bit overwhelmed. I'm looking into growing my own, and I recently discovered your show, I've got a ton of questions for you, but the first one is, whatever happened to seeds and weed? Oh, man, where have you been, Freddie? Um, <laughs> wow. I, uh, Old timers, right? Yeah. Uh, he says, I only remember our reefer back in the day having seeds and nothing uh, I see these days has any. How is that possible? Where does it come from if there's no seeds in it? So where to start, uh, Dan, here for Freddie? Yeah, well, so uh, it's an innovation that actually occurred uh, years ago, uh, where farmers basically, uh, you know, this is something that, you know, for any kind of seedless plant, uh, if if you keep it from being fertilized, uh, hopefully you can keep seeds out of the plant. So um, years ago, even while you were probably still puffing, uh, there were people who were able to basically take female cannabis plants and keep them separated from males um, in order to not have them pollinated and not have those flowers seeded. And that's the origins of sensimilla um, in Spanish, sin without and semilla is seed. So sensimilla is weed without seeds. Um, and so that's where that expression comes from. And, you know, if you watch uh, Narcos Mexico, <laughs> you can actually see the, the, you know, the, I think it's Rafael, uh, I forget his last name, but he, he the guy, basically kind of develops it on a much larger scale. I think he wasn't the first to discover that you could do this sort of thing, but I think he did it, you know, on a much, much larger scale. And that's when you started seeing um, pounds and pounds of Mexican brickweed that did not have seeds. And, you know, we would call that Zona back in the day, because I think it was probably coming through Arizona. But uh, the idea is basically you're not, you don't want to smoke seeds and, uh, so the only way you'll see seeds now is, you know, they're very expensive because they're developed by breeders or if a room gets accidentally seeded, if people are growing in a, in a closet or a, a, a tent and they have a male that they don't find and kill before it's able to pollinate their females, then they get a, a, a crop that's infested with seeds. Um, but you don't want to smoke that, you know, and, and, and you don't even necessarily want to do, you know, want to grow out those seeds because, um, you know, 99.9% .9 of them are going to be pretty worthless. Uh, and so uh, it's interesting that, you, you know, the seeds went from being uh, completely worthless and unwanted in old packs of weed to now people will pay, you know, hundreds of dollars or even way more um, for 10 seeds, <laughs> 10 individual seeds. Uh, but that actually is a testament to the quality of, of those seeds compared to the ones that are, are just randomly produced. So um, that's what happened to seeds and weed. And I think, you know, for, for the most part, it's a, it's a really good thing because we don't have to smoke, smoke them and smell that awful smell and, and hear that pop <laughs> and the sizzle of the seeds. Uh, but, you know, there's something to be said for just having some bag seeds and throwing them out in the, in the park out there in the wild. So, um, yeah. And I look forward to more questions from you. Keep them coming. Uh, we do appreciate it. And there are no, uh, silly questions and, and no bad questions. We want to answer them all for you guys and, uh, make sure you're growing properly and, and up to where you want to be. 
For sure, yeah. Thank you, Freddie. But trust me, Freddie, it's better this way. Done it, done it both ways. Better without the seeds. <laughs> yeah. This is, they used to say that that if you smoke the seeds, it would make you sterile or something. Do you remember that? Uh, whole I remember thing? that. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't. That's not what turned me off. It's the smell of the burning seeds, and and uh, you know, yeah, if, if you did happen to get one in there, even just the shell, you know, not even a seed, just a little piece of the shell. That 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 smell, like it's just, ugh, it's yeah, like grade grading. You know, it's like nails on a chalkboard for me. The second I smell it, I'm I'm just like at the end of the joint off you know start over uh yeah yeah well thank you uh freddie and we appreciate the little walk down memory lane there uh let's do one more here uh this comes from bill the bud butcher hmm. uh hey guys how come some weed is purple so yeah oh. there, there you go what do you, what do you think yeah. wow a question in just a couple of words there to the um, point. how come some weed is purple well there's two major reasons for that. One is genetics and the other one is cold temperature. So there are some strains that just naturally turn purple. Some, I mean, they just grow purple. I mean, very, there's a few, Great Bape and um, Granddaddy Purple and, and, and some like that where they're just purple pretty much once they're fairly mature from, from to when they've, they're done flowering. Um, then there's some that turn purple towards the end genetically. You know, they'll just... Um, have tinges of 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 purple punch or whatever it might be, um, and that'll come out in the last two or three weeks uh, of flowering. And then there's some that you know you just put them outside in the, and they're subject to colder temperatures in the fall uh, as we approach harvest and winter, and they just turn purple uh, because of the temperature. Uh, a, a temperature dropping, especially nighttime temperatures in the in the fifties and sixties and things like that, um, that'll turn some strains purple too. Uh, but doesn't really affect the flavor. Like the, they don't get that purple candy kind of sweet uh, punch kind of flavor um, from strains that just turn purple uh, due to weather. You typically get that from the ones that are genetically purple. All right, there you go. Thank you, Bill the Bud Butcher. Thanks to everybody who wrote in this week. If you have a question you would like answered, uh, get in touch with us. The email is info at growbudyourself.com. You could also get us on the socials over on Patreon, on YouTube, all of that good stuff. So uh, how about you and I take a short break, come back and wrap this one up? Sounds good. Let's do it. If you're a grower or you're thinking about starting your first crop, then you need to know about Sweet Leaf Plant Nutrients. Sweet Leaf has an incredible line of organic fertilizers and of course, their legacy line that includes organic and some synthetic fertilizers. Check them out at sweetleaf.com. That's S-U-I-T-E-L-E-A-F.com. The code DANKO15 gets you 15% off everything at Sweetleaf. That's 15% off their signature line of nutrients as well as essentials like complete indoor hydroponic grow tent kits and grow lights, plus awesome apparel, backpacks, and much more. If you join our Patreon, you'll get access to additional codes worth 20 and even 25% off. Patreon supporters also receive free Sweetleaf nutrients just for signing up. Sweetleaf provides all the tools necessary for the modern gardener. Check them out at sweetleaf.com and remember the code DANKO15. All right, welcome back and thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we got some deals for you guys at all of our different sponsors. Seeds here now, uh, seedsherenow.com. Use the code DankoShip for free shipping on all of your seeds. Um, Sweetleaf Nutrients, the code there is Danko15 for 15% off. Uh, Excelsior Extracts, uh, check out the THC infused pain relief rub and contact them on Instagram at Excelsior Extracts. Um, Prime Superior Inoculant. This stuff is amazing. PS420 is the code for 15% off there. And Purple Rose Supply, the Canagar molds to make your, your own blunts. Um, you, you know, it's a roller machine that basically makes your own blunts, but you can make your own joints. You can do, you know, down to one, one gram all the way up to uh, huge cannons. So uh, the code there is GBY20 uh, for 20% off of their product. 
and um, of course, vapor.com for all your vaporization needs, rolling papers, trays, uh, pretty much anything that you use in your daily uh, cannabis aficionado connoisseurship enthusiastic uh, endeavors you can buy at vapor.com and you'll find 15% codes out there in the world all over the place, but you won't find a 20% off code uh, except ours. And that code is grow bud yourself 20 for anything, 20% off of Puffco, 20% off of Volcano, 20% off of raw papers, 20% off of anything that you would want um, CBD products and all kinds of other stuff at vapor.com. So please check them out. Um, thanks to Jacques and Winstrong. Thank you, Mike. Thanks to you guys for listening. Thank you to Luna Whitcomb. Uh, definitely want to have her on again uh, and go a little deeper into soil science and living soil because, I mean, I do think uh, there's a revolution happening with that, uh, particularly in our world of cannabis, but also, I hope, in the world of uh, food and vegetable and plant production and fruits and vegetables, all of it. So, um, yeah, hope you guys uh, enjoyed the show. That's episode number one, two, six. Put it in the books. 